Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And if you want to support the show, check out our merch store at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers to see the stickers and postcards we have for sale. And tell your friends about us. So this week, we are talking about the Diplodocus, or actually, I guess it's more properly pronounced Diplodocus. I feel like I grew up always calling it Diplodocus, (laughs) so I don't know what that's about. (laughs) Diplodocus is a really, it sounds very cute. Yeah, I think it's very like childlike way of saying it, but the cool way is Diplodocus. It sounds like a Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm very excited for today because we haven't done a dinosaur in what feels like an eternity, and I love doing the dinosaurs. Yeah, it has been a really long time. I also just kind of have no idea what this dinosaur is, so I'm excited. <laughs> oh, nice. That's great. Yeah, I pretty much only know the very the very known ones. <laughs> this one's like relatively well-known, I feel like, because it's one of those sauropods, like the long-necked dinosaurs. So I feel right. like when people talk about them, they usually say like Brachiosaurus or like Brontosaurus or Diplodocus, and they're all, sorry, I should say Diplodocus. Okay, I got to get in the habit here. Diplodocus. <laughs> Diplodocus. It's sort of like... One of those three well-known sauropods. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm excited to get into it. Let's see what Blathers has to say. So if you bring a Diplodocus fossil to Blathers, he'll say, Good old Diplodocus, what would we do without you? This stout fellow embodied all the best in dinosaurs. Those sturdy legs, that magnificent tail, and above all, that extraordinary neck. Did you know that its center of gravity was such that sitting up on its hind legs was probably easy? What's more, paired with its long neck, this ability greatly increased its reach for eating plants. Best of all, Diplodocus probably grew its entire life, having no adult size. Would that we were all so gifted. Hmm. He says a lot of things in here that are very, like, kind of right. Or I read (laughs) them somewhere, but then I read another argument. I think... Overall, Diplodocus is definitely one of those dinosaurs with lots of debate around its ecology and its body. It just really seems like yes and also no (laughs) with so much of what I read about the Diplodocus. I guess Blathers makes it seem easy here, but maybe it's more complicated than it seems. Oh, it always is with science. I feel like especially this week, I think every day this week I've had a moment where I go, ugh, science, and I just (laughs) sigh. (laughs) It's just so complicated. Anyway, so... Yeah, let's talk about Diplodocus. So this is a long-necked sauropod. So the last time we covered a sauropod was Brachiosaurus. And really each time I read about or watch videos on Diplodocus, I really find myself getting lost in like fantasies of seeing these creatures because I think of how amazing it is to see even things like giraffes. And I can't imagine looking at something 10 times a giraffe's length and size like that. I think I just get like really like awestruck at the mere idea of a sauropod. Yeah, I know we talked about it a lot in the Brachiosaurus episode, but like just the Jurassic Park vibes are so strong. Oh, totally. And to be fair, like Brachiosaurus is still my favorite, I think. But Diplodocus is still pretty cool. 
to meet Diplodocus, let's imagine where it was living at the time. And for that, we need to go back 154 to 152 million years ago at the end of the Jurassic period. So Diplodocus lived in what is now the Midwest of the United States and are found in the famous Morrison Formation of Rocks. The habitat of the Diplodocus was likely a vast floodplain with few large trees. The region was mostly dry like a savanna, but it would have trickles of water flowing through it from nearby mountains. And at the time, angiosperm plants had yet to evolve. So while some compare this habitat to a savanna, it would have actually looked very different. There were no flowers nor grasses. Instead, this plain would be covered in horsetail rushes, in cycads, ferns, and ginkgo. Some of the local wildlife would have been familiar to us, though. The wetlands of the river floodplains would have been filled with amphibians like frogs and salamanders, reptiles like turtles and crocodiles, and even crayfish. Pterosaurs would have squawked above carcasses being eaten by T-Rex like theropods, including allosaurs and ceratosaurs. Some familiar dinosaur faces were around, like the sweet stegosaurus and early ankylosaurs. But it was the long-necked sauropods that would thrive especially in this habitat. Here you could find everything from Brachiosaurus and Apatosaurus to Camarasaurus, which is one of the most common sauropods you find in this area. You could even find the sauropod Supersaurus, which is one of the largest dinosaurs currently known in this formation, although Supersaurus was a relatively rare fossil. So with all these large-bodied sauropods lumbering across the landscape, this habitat would have had to provide not just a lot of food mass, but many food niches so that not all of these sauropods were competing with one another for the same food. So throughout evolutionary history, we can see over and over how animals will evolve to occupy different roles, or as it's more accurately named, niches. Basically, as an animal, life in the wild is already really difficult, but if your food keeps getting eaten by another more successful species than you, it's more likely that your species will die out. So when you have a lot of similar looking and behaving animals living at the same time and in the same place, it's safe to bet that they're probably occupying slightly different niches to survive. Which brings us to what sauropods were eating. So you probably know that these long-necked dinosaurs were herbivorous, eating all kinds of plants, and they had to eat quite a lot to maintain their huge body size. Yeah, I wanted to ask how big Diplodocus was and whether they're bigger than Brachiosaurus, like I guess just trying to picture them all in the same habitat together. Yeah, I mean, they were kind of, if you see a photo of them next to one another, Brachiosaurus was very upright and relatively stocky versus Diplodocus was a lot more, well, we think was a bit more slender, but also its neck pointed more forward. So it looks very long, but it definitely wasn't as tall as Brachiosaurus just walking around. Overall, though, it is a longer dinosaur. So Diplodocus is a genus that consists of about two species. And I say about here because there are two other Diplodocus species that are sort of argued about. There's Diplodocus longus and Lacustris. But from what I can tell, it seems like most of the time we're talking about two species, Diplodocus carnegie and Diplodocus halorum. So Diplodocus carnegie was about 85 feet long or nearly 26 meters, while Diplodocus halorum was about 95 to 105 feet long and 29 to 32 meters. Though the estimates for Diplodocus halorum have long been argued and we don't really have like a perfect skeleton for it. 
In terms of weight, we're talking about about 13 to 16 tons for the smaller species and 23 tons for the larger. So that's about four times the weight of an elephant. So this is a very, very large animal. Yeah, like over 100 feet long. That's huge. It's massive. It was really wild, especially because I saw the like really nuts estimation from like early signs and they were like 175 feet long. But no, that doesn't seem quite right. So it wasn't quite that big, but it was still extremely (laughs) long. Um, It had a really long neck and tail. I read some estimates. They said it was like the length of four school buses. Wow. (laughs) And like, especially because Diplodocus has a very narrow end to its tail. So that tail is just like this string that stretches on for a really long time. Could you talk a bit about why sauropods get so big and what the advantage is there? Yeah, it's a weird one because, you know, if you're a big animal, you have to eat so much food to make up for your size. And it seems a little inefficient, except that there are a number of advantages. One is that it's way harder for a predator to eat you because they have to be like of a competing size, which you know, most of the predators just weren't, especially predators that existed at the same time as Diplodocus. So that's a really good benefit. Another is that large-bodied animals store heat really efficiently. I remember this from working at the zoo. Like we had um, a bunch of zebras and the zebras had like a stall area, kind of like, you know, what you'd see for horses. That area was all heated nicely. And in the winter, they would often go outside and they'd be perfectly happy with it. And it was like minus 20 degrees Celsius. Like they were sometimes out there and I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) But they were like totally fine. And so, yeah, they like, you know, big animals store heat really well. So regulating body temperature becomes a lot easier. And that's actually pretty important when it comes to survival. They're also able to store large amounts of fat and energy for later. So if they aren't able to find food for a period of time, they are more likely to survive. And lastly, there's a locomotive advantage. If you are, let's say, a tiny little mouse, chances are you're not going to move quite as far in the landscape because you have short little legs and it's a lot of work to walk that far. But if you're a massive dinosaur like Diplodocus you're able to clear large distances much quicker and thereby find more food where food sources are further apart, like in this savanna landscape. So yeah, being bigger requires that these animals take more energy to find food, but there are a lot of benefits that ultimately sort of offset those food requirements, like being able to hold on to your energy a bit better. I feel like I would choose to be huge. It would just be cool. Oh, yeah. I feel like they were kind of living the life. Yeah. Like, if I could be anything, blue whale. So Really? Cool. A blue whale? I don't know. I mean... The idea of being, like, alone in the ocean, even that big, it really freaks me out. Like, I get scared <laughs> just, like, swimming in a public swimming pool with the deep end, and I look at the deep end, and then, like, I imagine a big animal coming out of the depth, and it freaks me out every time, no matter how yeah, old I but, get. <laughs> but you'd be the biggest thing there. I guess so. I mean, they do have predators, but still I don't know it still freaks me out (laughs) (laughs) but I'd definitely be happy to be a large land mammal or animal yeah I feel like you have land mammal energy and I have sea creature (laughs) energy (laughs) this is what our horoscopes tell us yeah this is why the podcast feels balanced (laughs) 
But anyway, let's let's go back to talking about what they were eating back then. Could you talk a bit more about it? You said they they're herbivores, obviously. Yeah, they were herbivores. They ate plants. So to talk about what exactly they were eating, though, let's talk about what the Diplodocus looked like. So, of course, let's look at the long neck. Their neck is composed of about 15 vertebrae. And for a long time, it was thought that the neck would have been relatively stiff. So kind of just like a meter stick. It couldn't really move that much. But further research has shown that these necks may have actually been quite flexible, though for the most part, they would have held this neck rather straightforward instead of upright like a brachiosaurus. And this long neck would have allowed them to have access to a large window of food that they could reach to get without having to move their entire bodies and expend energy. So this is really useful and a lot of animals will utilize this. Even if you look at birds now, so many birds have crazy long necks that are sort of just folded in and it just helps them grab food and really they have so many uses for their necks. If we look at the skulls of Diplodocus and its relatives, their skulls were relatively elongated. It kind of reminds me of like a duck head shape, but without the bill. It's just very funky looking, kind of Jar Jar Binksy. And <laughs> their teeth were peg-like and stuck forward. So given this evidence, there's been a lot of ideas about what Diplodocus fed on. It definitely seems like those teeth were made for stripping leaves off branches in some capacity. And the neck definitely plays in somewhere. <laughs> so some research has hypothesized that Diplodocus could have stood up on its hind legs to reach leaves that were really high up on trees. But others have said it would have been only able to eat low-lying plants. Another idea that is discussed on my favorite YouTube channel, PBS Eons, talks about how Diplodocus's long neck could have given it access to an abundant food source that other herbivores would have had a more challenging experience accessing. And this is that they would eat water plants. So with the floodplains of the Morrison Formation, horsetails and other aquatic plants would have been quite abundant. But the muddy slope of the river would have been really hazardous for large-bodied dinosaurs who could have slipped and fallen and gotten stuck. I'm sure you can imagine we've seen so many illustrations of you know, dinosaurs and like tar pits or something getting sucked in. So it was a pretty hazardous spot. But for an animal like Diplodocus, all they would have to do is reach their long neck out to graze all of those delicious looking muddy plants. So that may have been what it was eating. But eating gritty plants on the ground would have likely worn their teeth out very quickly. A study by Michael Demick and his colleagues found that Diplodocus would have replaced its teeth very quickly, producing many low-quality teeth that would have been replaced frequently, and ultimately just reminds me a lot of like 2023 fast fashion. <laughs> just low quality and get rid of it fast. Wow, that's really cool, like hearing the different hypotheses about what they were eating. And yeah, I never really thought about like long necks being used to reach out into the water, but that totally makes sense. Yeah, and for a long time, I think we touched on this a little bit with Brachiosaurus, but because a lot of sauropods seem to have these nostrils sort of on the top of their head, a lot of early paleontologists thought that like they were really aquatic, but that's sort of been disproved since. But there have been a lot of ideas about sauropods and how they interact with water. I find the whole what dinosaurs eat question very interesting, but even more exciting is when we find evidence in their bodies of behaviors. So Diplodocus has this incredible tail, which I mentioned before. It's not only long and held upright, 
but it ended in a very thin, long section that not only looked like a whip, but very likely acted like one too. So a study by Philip Curry and Nathan P. Mervold found that it could have been possible for Diplodocus to whip that thin tail with enough force to move it faster than 12,000 kilometers an hour, which is faster than the speed of sound, thereby creating a sonic boom. And this is how whips make that cracking sound. They create a little sonic boom. And Curry and Mervold theorized that this loud whip could have been used as some kind of mating display, and it probably wasn't very useful as a defense tactic. So maybe this is some sort of behavioral thing. Maybe if you walked around a herd of Diplodocus, you would hear this like whip sound everywhere. And I really love that image. That's so cool. Yeah, but unfortunately, okay, so I dug into this a bit more. This research has actually come into question. So the Curry and Mervold study was done in the late 1990s. A more recent study in 2022 by Simone Conti showed something different. So Simone Conti is a doctoral student in a paleontology engineering program. Conti showed with his new model that a dinosaur couldn't have moved its tail that quickly without the tail basically falling apart. Conti suggests that maybe it was used more as some kind of defense because it probably could have moved its tail quite quickly even so. In reading this, there seems to be some dino drama here because Mervold, the author of the original study, said in an article with CNN, quote, they have no findings of any value. Their model was not driven properly to demonstrate a cracking whip. So what they proved is that they do not know how to model a bullwhip, end quote. <laughs> This is so sassy, right? And then (laughs) CNN reports that he plans to respond to Conti's paper with an updated model of his own. And that, quote, Curry maintains it's still possible that a dinosaur tail could have moved at sound barrier breaking speeds, perhaps thanks to stronger skin or other soft tissues at the tip of the tail that paleontologists have yet to discover. However, he emphasized that the scientific process depends on researchers exploring and testing each other's work. Their conflicting findings ladder up to a better understanding of life on Earth. So a much more diplomatic response from Curry (laughs) to that. So yeah, there's a little bit of uh, drama happening there. Figured I'd mention that. But I do like the idea of a diplodocus whipping its tail around. Uh, Whether or not it made an amazing sound or not, it is an amazing device that must have served some kind of purpose. If you look at a picture of it, you'll be pretty amazed. Yeah, that's really cool either way. And we love dino drama. Oh, yeah, I really do. I live for it. I live for scientific drama, I've realized. (laughs) I do love it. Speaking of, I guess, dino drama or potential dino drama, could you talk a bit about the discovery of the Diplodocus? Yeah, the first Diplodocus was an incomplete skeleton discovered in 1877 in Colorado by Benjamin Mudge. I just need to pause and say there's so many good names in paleontology and Benjamin Mudge is one of them. So putting that in the name bucket for future use (laughs) if you're writing a story, Sophia. Um, He sent the specimen to good old O.C. Marsh, so Mr. Bone Wars, if you're not familiar with Bone Wars, basically these two paleontologists went a little nuts collecting dinosaurs and they were like really determined to compete with one another and find the most dinosaurs. So Marsh found this one. He named it Diplodocus after its two beamed vertebrae, so the shape of the vertebrae. 
Some other discoveries in 1899, an expedition funded by Andrew Carnegie, who's a Scottish-American steel tycoon and famous old rich guy, found a really nice Diplodocus fossil. Carnegie is actually really interesting. I got a little like sucked into his Wikipedia page. He was one of the richest guys in the States at the time and donated almost 90% of his wealth to various charities, scientific organizations, and other causes. He also was like apparently very pro like taxing the rich, which I thought was interesting. Anyway, couldn't get too into that, but I did enjoy reading that Wikipedia page. (laughs) Anyways, back to the Diplodocus. This fossil was put together and Carnegie basically had numerous casts of it done. And all these casts and this Diplodocus fossil were called Dippy, the Diplodocus. The casts were sent all around the world, including to England, where King Edward VII had requested it specifically. Dippy became an icon at the Natural History Museum of London, but in 2017, Dippy was replaced by a blue whale skeleton and then went on a museum tour like just a total celeb and everyone was excited to see Dippy. I think it's funny that you mentioned Sophia a blue whale because apparently the Diplodocus is less interesting than a blue whale to the modern <laughs> audience. One last fossil I wanted to mention was a find at the Mother's Day Quarry in Montana, which is kind of a cute name. Here they found the remains, although it gets kind of sad. So (laughs) here they found the remains of 15 young juvenile Diplodocus, no more than six years old. We don't know how they died, but the fact that they died together suggests that these animals probably weren't cared for by parents and instead traveled in a pack of similarly aged Diplodocus, kind of like a little crew of lost boys. I just like the image of all these little baby Diplodocus like running around the forest. Anyway, so Diplodocus probably grew to full size in 25 years. So I don't really know where Blathers is getting that thing about them continuously growing. I didn't see anything against it, but Mm. uh, I wasn't able to find that. And another element of this study is that Carrie Woodruff, who studied these young Diplodocus, said that they had Swiss army knife teeth, which basically means that they seem to have been able to graze on anything that was sort of around them. So they may have had a different diet than adult Diplodocus. Oh, interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of emphasis on teeth with this specimen, I feel like. Honestly, yeah. And yeah, it, it seems very interesting. There's also... Like Diplodocus is a genus, but there's also a lot of Diplodocus relatives that all have kind of a similar like long face, similar teeth. So it seems like there were quite a number of species that occupied a similar niche in this way. It's it's very interesting. I do wonder where the Animal Crossing team got that thing about them continuously growing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe it was a book somewhere, um, but I couldn't find it. Yeah, so that's the Diplodocus. It's one of the most massive things to have ever lived on this planet. And it lived on a wetland savanna where all the other dinos around might have had to dodge its long whip-like tail. And I hope you all look outside your window. Imagine a dinosaur as long as four school buses just walking down your street because I think that just adds so much magic to your day. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much, Olivia. Such a fun dinosaur episode. It's always so great when we get to do these absolutely and thank you everyone so much for listening follow us on instagram and twitter at beyond blathers and check out our tiktok at beyond underscore blathers and don't forget to take a look at our shop at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers tune in next week to learn more about the insects fish and fossils you can find in animal crossing new horizons bye bye